Welcome to Tech Now with Tom Lyon, the podcast where host Tom Lyon talks with industry leaders about upcoming technology. Now here's Tom. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Tech Now with Tom Lyon. We have a special guest today. It's Ivan Novik, who's product manager of Pivotal Green Plum. How are you today, Ivan? I'm great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for being on the show. So maybe uh, you could start by telling our listeners, you know, what is Green Plum and where did it come from? Sure. Um, so Green Plum is a big data database, also known as a massively parallel processing database that, that is provides you the capability to store and query hundreds of terabytes and petabytes of data. It is derived from the open source Postgres database, and it brings the, the massively parallel aspects to Postgres to, to allow you to process those big data volumes. It actually got started back in 2005 and is has been growing in features and capability and, and footprint in enterprise customers through that time and uh, actually started as a Postgres itself is open source, has always been open source. Green Plum took advantage of the, the liberal BSD license and was closed source and then Reemerged in 2015 as open source Green Plum database. So it's a open source MPP database for big data based on Postgres. Uh huh. And you guys were doing big data before it was cool. Well, we we did it before big data got coined as a alternate word for Hadoop. Right. <laughs> I'm sure there was much chagrin around that. Well, these days of the. The shine is kind of off Hadoop, and uh, a lot of the the fad of the day, people are off to blockchain and AI and that kind of stuff. There, there is that. I mean, people, when, when Hadoop was just getting started, people had the expectation that it had unlimited capability, and that unlimited capability would be reached within, you know, one to two years. Seven years later, big users are saying things like, we're successful with Hadoop, but we've identified that 50% of the workloads we thought we could run on Hadoop will never go to Hadoop. Yeah, and then uh, at the same time, there are a lot of people who rushed to put their workloads on Hadoop just because it was cool, not because they actually had big data. Well, yeah, there's people who have the 100, ter- 100 terabyte Hadoop clusters to run you know, SQL business intelligence reporting. Yeah, not so good. Yeah, yeah so uh, because Greenplum is based on, on Postgres, it's got a, a very long history, right? Because Postgres came out of Berkeley in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to tell people that it takes at least 10 years to debug a database. Yes. And it, and it takes at least 10 years to debug a distributed system. Yes. And now uh, Greenplum has both both of those under under its belt pretty solidly. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in your... 13 since Greenplum was created, and, and we feel that we've debugged it now. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So what, what's a typical customer of Greenplum look like? So um, a, lot of, a lot of financial firms gravitated to Greenplum around the world because they had, you know, during the kind of Hadoop uh, craze, there was a leaning towards unstructured data going to Hadoop. The financial firms are filled with a lot of structured data at scale. And so, so we always had a very strong contingent of banks, credit card companies, 
and other financial services firms who um, saw the the opportunity of Greenplum. So there's a lot of financial services users. There's a lot of government users. Um, I should probably mention that Postgres technology, if you look on their website, it says the world's most advanced open source database. If you read a bit further into the description, it says it's a object relational. So it's a fully relational and ACID database, but it does have a bit of an object and uh, extendability it built into it. Right, that's for kind of extending data types. Is that yeah. The, yeah. So yeah. There's, there's about four or five different ways that you can extend off of Postgres. One is data types. One is functions, right? So you can have user-defined functions, user-defined data types. Um, you can also add procedural languages. So we've added, people have added Python, R, Perl, and then you can add more complex modules. Like um, one of the things we've done is integrated Apache Solar as an extension, which allows the full scope of solar text indexing to be made yeah. available to data in Greenplum. Uh, there's also folks who've extended it into this the realm of geography. So the, the open source geography community is heavily Postgres centric. They have oh, interesting. worldwide forums where um, they discuss uh, how to analyze geographical data, whether it comes from, from all different sources, you can imagine governments and etc. And, and Postgres is really the core DB technology around that community. So, so really, the, the idea is you can extend the, the you have you have tables and columns, but but those tables and columns could be a richer concepts that under where you can have you can you can extend it to building blocks, logical building blocks like geography, text analytics, machine learning, um, cryptography, uh, network network traffic data, etc. Yeah, I think I read uh, there's JSON and XML support JSON, now. JSON and XML. Yeah, so you can do uh, do stuff straight out of JavaScript, I guess. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah. A lot of stuff gets passed around as JSON now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Pivotal has an interesting history too, but uh, one, one of the things that I find really cool is that Pivotal seems to have a very strong... Uh, open source attitude and has been busy open sourcing lots of stuff. Well, and so and so uh, Apache Hawk is is that pretty much equivalent to Greenplum is that So so Apache Hawk is is another um, project started at um, Pivotal. It's it's also a um, an MPP Postgres for big data. Um, and it 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 took you know they both came out of the same DNA originally about four or five years ago and apache hawk took the approach to fully integrate into hadoop so oh, it, okay so it, it's yeah so it runs on hdfs and it runs oh, okay. integrated with yarn and it's so it's a it's an integrated it's it's really a hadoop engine and running in hadoop whereas Greenplum is really a a um a scale out Postgres, which is independent of per se of of any other technology, but integrates with you know polyglot any all different things. Okay, and you said it it has been open sourced again since a couple it of years ago. Sourced, yes, yes. Yeah. So so at your point about Pivotal, um, the 
the spring project is one of the biggest you know open source success cases when i meet people um outside of work who know about um spring a lot of people know about spring the java framework so that's a pivotal sponsored open source uh community right and, um there's there's a listing of about 10 major open source projects that pivotal sponsors so so at the core of pivotal open source is one of the values um, as well as really the the agile and extreme programming philosophy that our ceo spearheaded over the last 20 to 30 years as well yeah the uh how, how does green plum kind of fit in at pivotal because it seems like most of it most of pivotal is focused on the developer from what i can from my you know ten thousand foot view yeah, yeah. Or, or is your stuff is more at the the bi people we are we are at the bi people um and from the customer base we have the same customer base in terms of the target target users so we're, we're really working with large companies on enterprise it use cases so it's the same customers uh same companies um and but I think from Greenplum, we haven't yet fully tapped the kind of pivotal potential of Greenplum. And so Pivotal was able to quickly show show the value of agile and extreme programming to application developers. But I think there's still that opportunity to change the way people think about working with big data. And that um, you know, one of the initiatives we have right now not per se for the user experience, but for the DBA is around Kubernetes integration and containerization. And then, um, but I think still, if you look at the, the object relational aspect of Postgres and Greenplum, and you look at how customers are really using Greenplum and using it for real world use cases, that this, it really is a, a um, can be thought of as a developer platform as well um, in terms of, you know, people have hundreds of thousands of lines of code that run pointing at Greenplum. And so I think we haven't reached the potential yet that we have to take the pivotal mindset and apply it to big data. And I think when we fully accomplish that, we could provide the same impact to the big data world with pivotal that um, that we've done with applications. Interesting. Yeah, I know there's probably millions of lines of SQL pointing at your stuff, right? SQL, Python, R. So how about how how are things going with Greenplum in the cloud? What what do you guys have going on there? So so for Greenplum and also for Pivotal in general, our philosophy is really openness, right? It's run anywhere. And you know, as this is a podcast, you know, it's not I'll I'll give you my personal take on some of these things. The I think you know the word. Some of these these buzzwords get really used and abused, right? Big data is definitely used and abused, and and cloud I think also used and abused quite a bit. Um, the you know to a certain degree, sometimes I think of cloud as as you're basically outsourcing your infrastructure to a third party. Uh, in addition to infrastructure, you're outsourcing. You're saying we're going to use a um, proprietary stack of software. So let's say Amazon, they, they've built a data center, they've built software, 
and basically we're going to stop taking care of all that and let Amazon do it, right? right. And so to right. me, it's a little bit, of a, in a certain sense, a little bit of a um, relinquishing of control and of of uh, of the job. So what we see as um, as a where how can we create a layer that's independent of the the vendor that's um, running the servers and and we've we've centralized around or not centralized but we've identified Kubernetes as as the leading um, distributed compute platform open source that that kind of takes the single computer operating system concept of give me some resources to to a distributed system and we think that if we can build a whole bunch of software including greenplum that runs on top of the kubernetes layer that that can be run on premise in amazon and and i say amazon because i think when we say the cloud that assumes that there's an electricity grid of portable standards that's the same whether you're on Amazon or Microsoft or 10 parties, right? But in reality, there's three U.S., you know, three brands. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think most people mean Amazon when they say the cloud. Exactly. And I think that's not quite healthy to ubiquitous to just assume the word cloud equals Amazon. Yeah. Um, but if we wanted to say, hey, we're going to build complex and robust software that will run for a decade, um, in the cloud, we'd like it to run on a on a layer, which is a uh, an open layer. And so, by saying if we can target Kubernetes as that platform, whoever provides that Kubernetes, we don't care, right? It can be Microsoft, it could be Amazon, or or if AT and T wants to provide Kubernetes, as long as they can keep the servers running and run Kubernetes, then that's fine, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Like you know, you don't find very many. People with the storage-intensive apps think, thinking that far out on Kubernetes, and uh, it's a great fit too for the DriveScale platform because we have a full Kubernetes inter integration now. Well, well the, yeah. So the storage. So so how does the storage? Kubernetes doesn't per se provide. They provide integrations to storage, but they don't provide a, a the storage itself or a file system per se. Right. 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 So how do we get? access to storage in Kubernetes, what are the options? You know, I'd be curious to see from a drive scale point of view, what, what, uh, what's being provided. Yeah. Well, we, we plug into the normal Kubernetes stuff, but provide our usual trick of getting DAS storage out of the box without a big performance hit. And uh, so it all comes together pretty nicely. And in, in the Kubernetes environment, you don't really have to use our API at all to make things work. It just works. Right. And so that's what we're banking on. We're banking on that that with Kubernetes, it's an open platform and that different storage vendors can come and give us access to POSIX standard storage um, right. at, you know, at high speeds. And we don't i with greenplum again you know my title is greenplum product manager as you introduced me per se not all pivotal products but um we don't want to tie our platform to hdfs we want to integrate with hdfs and access it when people have data there but i'd really like to have a data platform that leverages open posix file system at scale that 
because of the compatibility and portability of POSIX. Right. Uh, of course, one one problem is that it's it's pretty hard to scale a POSIX file system to really large size. So, do do you get any pressure to integrate with S3 and other object storage? Well, we we differentiate. So we have different storage tiers. So so our 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 I would call it our highest performance storage tier would be POSIX. And then we can also access, you know, what I'd call federated data sources like S3 and HDFS. But we okay. want to keep a, a core layer of high performance storage, which would be a set of disk volumes that we can access through so that when we when we allocate a container, we want to say, give us a container for this um, this. So basically, Greenplum is a distributed system made up of many Postgres databases. Right. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, I, I was thinking a big distributed POSIX file system. But if you're doing the, if you're doing the distribution part, then it's it's a lot easier. Right. So so that's the when we look at containerization and how can we leverage that for databases. If if your system is a a monolithic scale up architecture, then you're not going to be able to take advantage as well as as someone like us who has you know a multi-process system where each unit could live on a different server. So you give this unit, which is a Postgres engine, compute resources, memory, and a local disk volume, and access to the network to other containers on the same network. So Kubernetes can provision these containers and say, okay, here's your disk. And I'm assuming that that disk could come from drive scale, right? Right. And then um, when the host, uh, let's say, um, dies, then we'll bring up another container and reattach the disk. Right. And uh, the architecture I like with the drive scale model is that you, you basically have one disk per container. Mm -hmm. So that way you have fate sharing. You, that container only has to work if the disk is working and vice versa. And uh, there's no longer any need to figure out what to do if one of your disks fails, if, if you already have the, the distributed part done. Yeah, I mean, the other trend that has finally kicked over is we're seeing SSD price performance now crossing over spinning disk, where for big data, you know, up until almost this year, we used to advise people, you're just not going to get the price performance to store hundreds of terabytes or petabytes on SSDs. And now it seems to have crossed over where uh, most people are now seeing, okay, we can get, you know, five terabyte SSD drives that, um, yeah. Well, and 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 they're and they're so fast that you know having having once experienced them, you just you decide maybe I should pay a, pay more anyway. A little <laughs> bit, a little bit yeah. more. We're, yeah. we're even seeing a use case now for the the uh, non-volatile RAM drives. Uh huh. Um, you know, not for big data per se, but for some portion of the data. And in fact, I think I think I've seen some pretty huge size non-volatile RAM drives available. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. Well, there was the, yeah, Intel's got the Optane 
add-on drives, but sure, they're still they're still not officially shipping the the NV DIM stuff. Well, they, but, I think they call it NVMe. Oh yeah, well, NVMe is a standard interface now to SSDs. So yeah, there's there's no reason to use non-NVMe flash drives anymore. Okay. Uh, it's so much better with NVMe. Right. And yeah, and we have a product now that supports that. And with NVMe. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy fast. You really really need so, 100, so, mega, 100 gigabit Ethernet to take advantage of of all that in a network context. And we're seeing that that's available, right? So we're seeing right. that, that okay, so you can put one NVMe per container, and that now now you have your, your one drive paired with your one container, but it's an NVMe, so you've got the bandwidth there, right? Right. Just, in fact, uh, the, the NVMe drives are so fast, servers have trouble keeping up, so that often the bottleneck is shifted. But uh, there's ways to carve up the NVMe drive as well if, if you need to do that. Sure. And then the network side, they're now having um, eight times 40 gig networks on servers is what I've seen. Yeah, 40 gig is kind of being left behind because 25 gig is so much cheaper and 100 gig is faster. So okay. things but, are shifting, shifting pretty rapidly. But even there, you can have multiple per server. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we're seeing up to eight network cards, and at those speeds, it's so we've we've brought it up from what it used to be. The standard big data hardware three four years ago was just ten gig with uh, you know two two sockets and spinning disks, you know twenty four spinning disks. But now it's changing. In summary, if we bring the that pivotal approach to user experience and to the developer experience, to to, to big data and and the thirty year track record of Postgres technology running at scale, we can really change the way people work with big data. Yeah, that would be a, a whole big ball of awesome sauce, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're kind of we're running out of time here, so. Any closing words? I think I just gave you the closing words. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all for today. Thank you so much, Ivan, for being here. And thank you, listeners in Internet land, for hanging on. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Tech Now with Tom Lyon. We welcome your feedback. And tell your friends to tune in.